fucking funny, man. Hold <laughs> on, dude. Holy shit. We got to figure out what to do with that. Holy you're, fuck, You're going to get somebody in your life someday who does that exact exchange. This guy's <laughs> funny. This guy's, like, really funny. Have you, like, no, really? Like, are you, have you, been, have you like, auditioned? No, get over here. Everybody get over here for Everybody a second. check this guy out. This guy's I funny. Mean, just look at the way that he's, like, a little more, like, it's got a little more fat on him than you would expect for a skinny-looking <laughs> oh guy. He's just like really pudgy around the middle, but like we could get, we could work on it. We could. Work. He's funny. Tell him the joke. Tell him the thing you told me. Come on, come on, bro. Tell him the joke. Um, I said Doc Martin's more like I need to wear a smock to keep him. It was it was funnier what he told me earlier. No, I swear, dude, this guy is hilarious. <laughs> He's gonna be the next SNL. This guy right here. <laughs> This guy right here is going to be the next S. He's the next, like, Stefan or whatever. It's, like, ridiculous. Anyways, Ruth, come over here. Let's take a picture. Hello and welcome to Chats, a television podcast season four of The Chats Room. My name is Alan, and with due respect, I fetishize this guy. It's Magellan. Magellan, how are you doing? Oh, feeling great, man. You know, it's just good to feel seen. Seen like like the side sort of genre of emo music, or... This is the story of the girl. It's the least <laughs> song I've ever. Oh my god! You sang a pop song. Who came in down the hallway? I listened to that actually. I listened to that whole song recently. Um, the whole song. Wow. Yeah, the real, the real song. Good not the, job, like, bud. Not the, not, not the album. What the hell? You sat through a whole song. That's awesome. <laughs> I can really... listen to remixes and clips. Yeah. Yeah, no, I can only listen to girl talk. <laughs> it's the only way I can see music because I need multiple songs at once. I got no time. I'm a busy guy. I'm running around. I'm in the big city, you know, big apple, big sm- that big smoky apple, and I just don't have the time. I visited that big smoked apple for t- for you recently for your purpose. For my purpose, yes, of course. Um, no, I got to, we got to yeah. we got what did we do? We got chicken and waffles. We got hot sauce on my chicken. Mm. We yes. went to a nice library. <laughs> These are all true well, it was things. A bookstore. Should... It was not. It was a bookstore, but yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes, it was a bookstore. Sorry. Um, no, great, it was a time. That was a fuck. That was really fun. I, yeah. I'm. Hey, you know, you were in the city where this show is set. Oh you God, you're that. right. I was in the newsroom. We should. I should have taken you. To Next time you come, we'll get it. We'll do a photo shoot in front of the exterior building <laughs> from the newsroom. <laughs> Tourists are, tourists are always stopping there. Like, oh, that's from the newsroom. Oh, fuck. They got <laughs> the newsroom bus tour. Oh, fuck. 
Yeah, they walk by the Empire State Building and they're like, "No, this isn't it, man. It's not it. It's not the real hey, one, man." Hey, excuse me. Um, can you point me to the newsroom exterior shot building? <laughs> what building is it actually? It's just like a random building near Bryant Park. I think it's Bryant like the Bank Park. of Bank of America headquarters or something. Oh, we word. were actually in. We went to Bryant Park when you were here in uh, November, December, or November. Yeah. Huh. Anyway, I just sorry. I really like the character who's just really into the newsroom and wants to visit the city just to see all the. I want to see the scene where that where fucking Maggie cried. That that character voice is a bit that I've been doing at work with the other teachers, where it's just like kind of a really agreeable bro who wants to learn more about a subject, <laughs> and he always asks the same like a form of the same question. So like I don't know. Pretend you're a teacher or like an expert on something. Okay. Hello. And pick the pick the subject. I'm an brain. expert on. Wait! Don't uh, say it! Don't say it! Don't say it! I'm a okay. And I'll be I'll be my character. All right, great. Okay. Uh, hey, hey, hey! How's it going? Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Hey, you seem like a really knowledgeable guy. What what uh? What's your focus area? What are you What are you all about? I uh, I spent my postdoctorate studying Henry the Eighth. Oh, Henry the Eighth. You know. I actually had a question about Henry VIII. I was hoping I could ask somebody. Please, I'm the person to ask. Is the patrilineal line of succession really all it's cracked up to be? <laughs> Just an unanswerable question. Like, he's caused several hardware failures in multiple PhD students across the country. Uh, oh, boy, anyway. oh, boy. This is this is the podcast uh, where we talk about the news, and this is an extra spicy one because we're only discussing one episode this week. Normally, we discuss yeah, two. So it's got to be good. It's good. we got one and done, man. Put one in the chamber, chick chick. You know, it's like chick chick. Chick chick. Yeah, totally. This week we watched season two, episode seven, Red Team Three. It was written by Aaron Sorkin, directed by Anthony Hemingway. It aired August twenty fifth, twenty thirteen, and it takes place roughly on August twenty sixth, September eleventh, and November sixth. Of 2012. Magellan, what happened in this episode? Well, Alan, I'm going to tell you. In this episode, the depositions continue with Don claiming that things should be simple now that everyone knows it was Jerry who doctored the interview footage. Will ends up being the one to give the final green light on the story in the third Red Team meeting, and tensions rise as the story goes to air. Within two hours, Stamtanovich calls Charlie about the mistake and doubt begins to spread. As the crew waits for the Department of Defense to answer their emails, their worries are interrupted by the beginnings of the Benghazi controversy. Meanwhile, Mac catches Jerry's footage edits and fires him. Eric Sweeney reveals on live television that he suffered a traumatic brain injury that may interfere with his memory, and Mac concludes that even her Valenzuela interview contains no new evidence. The final nail in the coffin comes from Charlie's final meeting with Shep Pressman, his secret source who reveals that the shipping manifest that he gave Charlie is completely fake. The episode ends with a baked... <laughs> Sorry. The, the episode ends with a baked... Wasn't she drunk? She's, was no, she, she said she was high. Oh, she said she was high. Okay. The episode ends with a baked Leona Lansing telling the news team to not give up and quit their jobs, but instead to earn back the people's trust. Hell yeah, baby. This episode sounds really spicy on paper. It's all right. Yeah, I liked it. 
I uh, I had like a couple major problems with it, but overall, I thought it was a it was an okay time. We're just getting there. We're and this is like the stuff. It's it's weird to watch everything happen at once, right? Like you're just like, we have been hinting out like what happened, what's the nature of things, and if anything, the theme that we're learning about this from this uh, of the whole season is that it was not one mistake that led to the Genoa incident. It was on the backs of so many people to where like this whole like law firm trying to figure out like whose fault is this and is this a wrongful termination suit feels ultimately kind of aimless because it was everybody's fault and not one person mm-hmm. like there's a, there ends up being no villain because it's like oh some of these things were out of our control and they all kind of compounded at once and oops and oops and oops here we are with a useless story and just our head in our hands yeah uh, well i think the thing that this episode helped me to realize is the problem with the Genoa storyline is not the idea itself of a well-meaning news team getting a bunch of small things wrong and eventually telling a false story by accident. Because that's pretty compelling, to be honest. Yeah. If if we're thinking about the setup of this show as, like, we're going to do the news right, I think you have to have a moment where you see the team doing the news wrong in a way that is understandable. Um and I think this episode worked. Genoa as a storyline would have worked better for me if it was like a two, three episode arc in a season. As totally. Opposed, like, it shouldn't have to have the weight of Africa and the Romney campaign and all of this other nonsense piled into it. Because it, it, it's not... It doesn't make sense as like the overarching theme I don't know. So that's been my problem with the season structure is that it's centered around the storyline that is valuable, but it doesn't make sense for it to be the center of everything. Like it can just be an arc on its own. I, I mean that you're getting to what is my biggest problem with, with red team three specifically, which is like, yeah, w- yes, I agree. We could have condensed the Genoa story into like two episodes tops. Um, but also because of how they have to keep this taking place in real time, they're busy doing Genoa stuff instead of noticing Benghazi happening. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that is like exponentially more important to American history than your fake news story. Pun intended. Uh, like that, and I and to be fair, like they don't, you obviously can't tell what in the in the timeline when this was happening that like, oh, the Benghazi thing is going to all blow up in some huge ways. And also like, in a and really like affected the next election like they can't know that um mm-hmm. but it's definitely way more important and i kind of just wanted an episode that was about that but it's literally actually about hey we know this is happening but all it's doing is distracting us from what's really important which is the be- with which is genoa and it's like guys you really missed right you, you like the chance there like you're not giving us a take on benghazi at all um and it's not, yeah, it doesn't mean anything for you to say, like, oh, well, we looked at this thing that we totally made up. Um, because then there there really is no, there's no reason why that needs to be Benghazi that's happening. That's what it is. There's exactly. no There's no reason why it has to be that. Making it that doesn't make a point about Benghazi at all. Uh, I guess it's just, like, they missed a big one, but... <laughs> Well, because what ends up happening is, like, we're now basically in the day that the Genoa story happened. 
And once they start to realize stuff is going bad, uh, they get word. And this is like the first 30 minutes of the episode. The rest of it is the like breakdown of what went wrong. But the beginning is them being like, we're waiting on an email from the attorney general's office. Yeah. And that's a really cool concept for narrative tension that doesn't, again, does not need Benghazi like glommed on to the side of it uh, to make things seem more interesting and realistic. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, sometimes you have to spend literally days waiting for an extremely like life threatening email uh, or like job threatening email. Um, and that is enough tension. And you don't need to like put in this like, oh, also, no, wait, real life is still happening. I swear, guys, look, because everyone is already stressed out and like sweating for different reasons and like this episode does not need more attention from real life it could use that as its own episode to talk about that or it could talk about the end of like the genoa story but it tries it puts both in one episode and it makes it feel really messy yeah so i kind of want to just get to the stuff um there isn't much else uh, that's too big i mean they talk a lot about like ratings and um like Neil having to, there's like little cool newsroom moments, like uh, Neil deferring uh, his work to the intern because they have this idea of something called doing the book, which is uh, when you get like a huge gigantic stack of papers with like every single filed news story that hasn't been like classified yet uh, under what it is, yeah. uh, and and that somebody at the newsroom just has to like go through them and find out what's worth looking at, and um, I think I don't think anything important comes out of that. All it is is to be like, oh, like. You know, people are do people are still doing a lot of stuff, and people are too busy to notice that the the main story that they just aired is go is you know full of holes. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I just there's something something cool about them being like you know everybody Neil has to do it. One person at the at the the desk has to do this job. Yeah, eventually. it feels it, it's like an actual inside the journalism industry factoid that is it's fun to see. Exactly. Um, yeah, like learning about what a red team is. I was excited by that. And how it, Will is actually technically not red because he knew about the story more than he let on initially. Right, right, right. I think that stuff is, is actually really cool, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, no, we see like Will in that scene okaying the story. And this is also where your your name at the beginning came from. But um, Jim, to the last minute, is like, I'm skeptical, which is really annoying because I'm sick of, of Jim being like, the one smart the, one like he's right yeah yeah and he's like i don't know guys like maybe i'm and because because Jer- jerry who in the deposition is referred to as jerome dantana which i think is fantastic because <laughs> <laughs> that's i never thought that was the for the full name for jerry uh he's like oh you you the reason you you don't you believe the military is you fetishize them and you fetishize the president and this whole uh government like the system the way it's set up you want it to work so badly that you're willing to ignore the corruption underneath and jim's like all right i'm not trying to have this fight you can have your story i'm not going to tell you not to i'm just saying i have a feeling and then that character gets just have his shit just have his like i was right moment and it's really frustrating because i like jerry but jerry's also right it's true he just is doing immoral things to try to forward what is ultimately i think the more morally sound perspective of criticizing the government and criticizing people being content with militarism because they like the face of what's going on. I think that's a really important critique of the Obama years that is, that is going to carry forward in our historical understanding of, of that stretch of time. It is, it is very much a a reversal of the current understanding, like the current uh, administration 
mm-hmm. where people are like not willing to give this guy any more chances because he has done stuff that that enough people are like this is heinous. But hey, man, I if we're allowed to talk about current politics like a tiny bit, um, no, yes, okay. we are. <laughs> I was scared for a second. I was at the gym today and I saw it. every time I go to the gym and I see CNN on the news or whatever, I get really anxious because they just throw up statistics that make me terrified. Seventy-five mm-hmm. percent of polled Republicans are going to reelect him. I'm not surprised by that. Nobody was disappointed. Um, it's not a matter of whether or not they're disappointed. I think it's more this attitude of like, well, I'm not gonna. No, I'm sorry, I'm not gonna make him sound stupid. Yeah. Uh, like they're not gonna vote for a Democrat, you know. As the uh, sorry, I don't want to start. I don't. I said I wouldn't start. Okay, so something I do want to start on though is uh, the different ways in which the story uh, kind of collapses under its own weight. Yeah. Uh, first off, we have Eric Sweeney, which is probably the most um, challenging to talk about. I was I was kind of writing around this one to make sure we can discuss it delicately. Basically, uh, they in the Genoa coverage have gunnery sergeant eric sweeney on the show to talk to will yeah uh and he mentions that during uh the operation itself um or at some point during the at some operation he suffered a tbi a traumatic brain injury Mm -hmm. um which they repeatedly repeatedly tell you is short is tbi short for that so that they can just use the acronym um which makes everybody panic because if he suffered a, a tbi and the most common side effect of that injury is loss of memory, then we just lost a whole source. Right. And then, you know, they have, they don't, they really don't handle it enough because again, there's way too many things going on in this episode, but there are conversations about like, is it unfair if like he's, he seems to be of a right mind. Um, but like, and he was medically discharged, like able to be able to speak on this interview and all this stuff. Um, should we like do a medical test on him on the air to tell, to see if this is true? Like, mm-hmm. where do we draw the line in believing him, uh, versus like right. consider just throwing his whole uh, opinion out of there and, and, and abandoning it. Cause that ties into the second sort of tentpole of like what went wrong, which is that Valenzuela, uh, when Mac interviewed him privately, um, only repeated back what Sweeney said. He never like said anything new. He just, you know, Mac would say like, "Oh, you know, your co-soldier. Uh, I don't know what you call co- like uh, people that work in the military with you." Um, said this, this, this about the operation, and then he would go, "Yeah, he did say like that happened, but wouldn't say like wouldn't contribute anything." Right, because he doesn't want to make him look whatever crazy or wrong or yeah. He's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm yes ending everything he's saying, and like we're gonna. Just go with that. And, it, you know, Mackenzie doesn't even think about it until things start to fall apart. And then she goes, oh, yep, this is all worthless. Uh-oh. Like looking at the footage back and forth and doing the whole like scrubbing thing and being like, yeah, he, there are no words. I'm looking at, she's like pulling out the script and being like, I'm looking at this and he didn't um, say anything useful. And like that one's unfortunate because like the Eric Sweeney stuff is like something, honestly, they should have probably looked into um, if you ask me. Yeah. Before they went with this, uh, but I guess that is partly on Jerry. Um, but that's not foolishness on anyone's part. That's just like neglect, right? I guess. And then the Valenzuela thing is also just like a lack of care. Like wh- I'm, what I'm trying to get at is like, why do you think each of these things happened? Because Eric's when you went wrong because nobody checked. Nobody checked into his mental health state. I think it just comes down to 
everyone at this news agency wants to be the news agency that reveals this story. Right. Like, this is a historic moment, and it would make their names forever. And it's like a, an accomplishment. Like, it shows that their crusade for justice and truth works if they can uncover something like this. So they're looking for it. And when you're looking for something, you're going to find it. Right. Yeah. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the news bag. This is Alan, bringing you the feedback and the commentary and the discussion that you crave when you just need a little bit more in the middle of your chats episode. I want to start by saying, uh, kind of just generally apologizing. I'm just kidding. I don't need to apologize for anything. Just uh, the fact that last week we mentioned that we would have um, a news bag and we didn't. Uh, our editing schedule has been a little bit off, as you can tell, as, as well as our publishing schedule. Um, but I believe we're back on track um, and we should be good for season three. Um, so far, that's how it seems to be. Um, but we did get a comment this week. I am going to read it. I just wanted to say in case people were like, why did they cut to a news bag? And there wasn't one. You know, it's also the fact that John and I edit the halves separately. Um, so, you know, one of us sends a thing and the other one expects there to be a news bag. There isn't one that was on me somewhat. Because I edited the second half, and the second half technically, whatever. Behind the scenes stuff, no one cares. Uh, let's read this comment. It's from our buddy Dan. This is actually from last week. This is from last month now. Um, I, so I apologize, Dan, for not getting to this one in, on, in a timely manner. But uh, it's regarding Willie P and unintended consequences. So several episodes ago. Uh, but it's very long and very good. So here we go. Alan, I hope that by now you actually did go and look up the word mohel. Mo mo. Mohel after murdering the word in the last news bag. It's one of those words that we all know and nobody knows how to spell. So I looked it up. Um, I learned something today. Hold on. Actually, I, did, I learned what the word means. I didn't find a good and an easy pronunciation of it, though. So I think it's Mohel. I, it's a Hebrew word. It's uh, It refers to the person who does uh, the circumcising. <laughs> so I learned, like, I learned uh, something thanks to chats. Um, he was also amused by the edit that didn't happen in the last podcast. It was funny hearing yourself count yourself back in from a cut that didn't happen. Yeah, I, uh, you are not the first person to pick up on that, um, uh, Dan. Uh, that was, I mean, I thought it was really funny because it was technically a just like missed edit. But we also mentioned, I think, in like the cold in the beginning of that episode, how uh, we used to never edit stuff like that. Um, but we also never didn't used to like do countdown, so it just would it would have seemed more natural back in the day. But I thought it was really funny, and I'm glad. To be honest with you, I'm kind of glad we kept it in. As for show stuff, I have to say I'm usually a big advocate for serialized TV, but in the case of Newsroom, the concept is being done no favors in this season. And I agree with Magellan: the jumping back and forth does nothing to help the story. I've seen the idea of jumping back and forth in time be used with great effect, but this is not one of those examples. This feels like a slog where I already know that when I get to the end of it, I'm going to be told that the princess is in another castle. The Hallie and Jim stuff is predictable and weird. In classic style, all of the flirting happens through arguing. How exciting. And we see the author's hand at working again via Jim's frustration about being on the Romney bus. Man, this is like a little dated. I like it. Um, I got a bit of satisfaction that Jim's rising speech got him kicked off the bus uh, instead of leading to some sort of nonsensical overthrow. The OWS stuff involved a bit of punching downward in that by this time the episode uh, having aired, the whole movement proved itself to be little more than a fad that had fallen out of relevancy. More than anything, this felt like an older guy taking a shot at millennials and how kids these days are too self-absorbed to understand how things work. I fall into that quasi-generation that's between Gen X and millennials, 
so I understand the fish shaking over the quote entitled snowflakes, but also the reality of being around plenty of millennials who prove how absurd that straw man actually is. Aaron Sorkin's view is based on a silly caricature. Magellan mentioned a couple examples of how the show's lampshading is preposterous, and it does annoy me as well how ridiculous it can be, uh, and I find that it only annoys me more when someone in the show comments on it. Um, that's just in general, like, don't be meta on your TV show, not when you're trying to take have your show take place in the real world also. When the show first showed Maggie's new haircut and then made a comment about it being related to Africa, my eyes were rolling. I feel like I should be thankful it didn't turn out to be a Maggie rape story, which totally feels like a thing the show would have been doing. I take the wins where I can get them. That is a really sad state of affairs. And speaking of Africa, I do have a compliment to offer. The kid who played Daniel did a pretty solid job. He was quite believable, and it's such a shame that he was a disposable set piece who, de- who was destined to die to explain Maggie's haircut. Damn, Daniel. This whole Africa plot uh, is just weird. Sorry. Uh, oh, scrolling. They go out of their way to say Africa is much more nuanced than the homogenized stereotype we have of it. And then the plot plays out exactly like that stereotype, point by point. The only thing it lacked was an HIV subplot. What are we supposed to think about this discrepancy between what we're told and what we're shown? Worst of all, we're only supposed to care that this happened to a blonde white girl because she decided she wanted to go to Africa. I'm sure there was a noble point to this, but it comes across as totally tone deaf. Thank you, Dan. I just Very strong email. Very passionate email. I love it so much, uh, my friend. Thank you. Um, yeah, I just feel like I've exhausted season two of the, of the show at this point. Like, I am still... We're obviously going to see the newsroom to the end, but man. And we're close. Like where this where this episode that is about that is out right now that you're listening to is we are real close um, because season three is only six episodes which is three podcast episodes and then we're moving right along um, so you know in a way I'm excited to just get past it but season three is different and interesting in different ways than this like kind of rut of season two that we found ourselves in so get hyped for that uh, please and uh, stay tuned as I take it back to Alan and Magellan of the past as they discuss the second half of Red Team 3. Welcome back to what is maybe the most physical distance crossed in one news bag segment. We are here again to talk about Red Team 3. Magellan, how, did, how was the break for you? Oh, it's great. It's great, man. I'm in California, so, you know, just oh. just trying to hang out and... Hit it up and catch some waves. Catch some waves, and honestly, I don't even understand the show because things are moving pretty slowly over here. And it's like the newsroom, more like the brews room, you know? It's like crack me open a cold one. Yeah, dude, totally, dude. All right, well, uh, now that Magellan's uh, been replaced by uh, Surfer Magellan on the podcast, uh, we kind of have a different, fresh dynamic, and it basically involves me. Um, Resummarizing things, both for us and for the listener, the, the listener, as I like to call them. So uh, we're talking about this episode. We mentioned all the different evidence that people uh, bring to the table and all the things that go wrong. Um, in general, I just thought, um, first of all, the name Shep Pressman, just good, just super good, like a very good name. Uh, we talked about Neil doing the books. We talked about Eric Sweeney and how that's kind of weird. The Valenzuela stuff. Honestly, we hit. I feel like we hit. I feel like we hit most of the points. Yeah. I like the part where uh, Shep goes up to Charlie and he's like, you know that Hilo Manifest, idiot? And he's like, yeah. And then he's like, check this out. Hold it up to some light. And then it's like, it, it's like, fuck you, idiot. <laughs> it says it on the paper. I'm so Like, stupid. very professional thing to do. That whole, that whole yeah. 
that was ugh. I really didn't like that. What a Deus Ex Machina that was. I would argue that that's a lot worse than uh, the stuff with um, Eric Sweeney because it's like Eric Sweeney's thing is like they do handle it as it's as those people would handle it in the story, which is to say like, oh, this guy has a has an actual like uh, physical disability now. Like, how do we take that into account? Right. Whereas the thing with Shep Pressman is like. My son worked for you, and then he leaked some stuff, and then he you fired him, and then he got re-addicted to drugs, and then he killed himself. And isn't that mess? That's your fault, and I hate you for it, and I'm going to ruin your life for it. Yeah. It's Yikes, like, dude. It's like every other piece of evidence is a genuine pitfall that a news organization could fall into. Like, you can't um, be looking too hard for the story that you uh, do some creative editing, right? You can't ask questions such that you're leading someone. You have to make sure that you know that people are sound of mind when they're giving you evidence. You have to acknowledge the fact that maybe somebody's phone going dead is they uh, didn't pay for their wireless plan or whatever. But this is like, oh, you also have to make sure that your secret government sources are not Batman villains. Because (laughs) if they are, it's going to be a big problem. That's an issue. Yeah. Yeah, it comes out of nowhere, and it's just there to be like, and then this. Like I said earlier, you don't need all of the evidence to be bad. It's just like, it furthers the point that, like, this was no one person's fault. Um, because some of it is incompetence, and some of it is just mistakes. And then the final, like, big incompetence one is uh, Mac basically finds out um, how Jerry did all of this. Because through just a dumb plot convenience... This guy, this like random intern, comes up to Mac in the in the office and is like, "Hey, so I got this LED clock. You can like click it and then click it again, and like the time stops. Isn't it wild?" Mm-hmm. Anyways, bye. I'm no longer useful. And she plays with the clock and she's like, "Wait a minute!" <clears throat> and she looks at um, the footage, uh, the the quote unquote raw footage, and notices that not the they didn't like what they should have done for like professionalism is put an LED clock in the shot with Stomtonovich. That's the way you should have done that. Um, instead Mm. they, uh, she notices that the shot clock behind him because he forced them to keep the basketball game on, uh, which the the fact that that whole thing existed just for this moment is so dumb, uh, is the, the shot clock jumps ahead and then, and then jumps backwards and she realizes, Oh, yep. Nailed it. That's an edit right there. Got him. Do you think that the intent was to say that Stumptonovich did that on purpose? Like he wanted something That's... running in the background so that he couldn't be edited in that way. I I actually don't know. It, it kind of comes into the question of uh, how smart and like how far ahead was Domtanovich himself planning things. Yeah. Um, I think it's hard because it's definitely definitely the reason the writers put that block basketball game convenience in is for this reason. Uh, I maybe though it is entirely possible that he said I want a timer in the background because he knows how editing works um like it's yeah it's totally feasible i didn't even consider it until you brought that up though and why why did he even entertain this story that's my problem with stomtonovich now is why did he even go through the hypothetical of like maybe we use Saren if we used Saren. <laughs> we if, well, if I think... we we used Saren. Saren, Saren, we used Saren. Uh, well, it's because he wanted to get his point. Across. He wanted to like be a whistleblower in a way, 
and say because he was arguing that like yeah we used we would use, if we were to use chemical weapons it would go super well because I know chemical weapons and I know how they're actually used and I don't want to like I want to get rid of the fear mongering around the U.S. using chemical weapons like he clearly does have a political uh, reason to do it. Mm, yeah. Okay. I I whatever. I guess I'm. I just don't know why he agreed to talk to them at all. Like, I don't really buy that reasoning, but it's okay. It's a TV show. Yeah, he's just a, he's just a weapons expert. He's just another source. Um, like, he is not even involved in the event. Like, why did they try to use him? And and then all that, all, all the rest of that conclusion is just Mackenzie sees uh, Jerry in an elevator. And that's probably my favorite moment in this entire episode uh, is her looking at him and being like, yeah, so... Uh, notice the shot clock. Like, no context, no nothing. She just basically says, like, I noticed the shot clock. And he's like, uh, uh, oh, uh, uh-huh. And just, you watch him crack in half and his whole, like, he gets angry very briefly and then he's like, N-, he just accepts it. Like, you watch the, all of the stages of grief go through yeah. his head while <laughs> in this, like, 10 seconds. Um, and she's like, yeah, but you're super fired. Get, get the fuck out of here. And he's yeah. like, okay, I guess you got me. Like a fucking Scooby-Doo villain. Um, so it's bad, but basically the way the episode wraps up is another really good scene uh, where most of the ca- most of the crew at this point, like pretty much their whole red team, or at least a lot of the red team, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, Charlie Mack and Will at least, uh, go to see Leona Lansing and Reese, and the whole thing gets laid out in front of them. Um, Leona is stoned as hell and drunk probably also because she just came from a screening of Skyfall, which, hey, this took place in 2012. Right. Um, uh, she she's So she's like kind of half there and yelling at them and being like you guys messed up you're so foolish and they're like we quit we super quit we never want to do the news again and she plays the role of aaron sorkin and says like no 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 we can't end the show this early we need i want another season (laughs) is is what right her dialogue basically feels like is like yeah realistically um you guys should apologize how are we gonna do that and so the way that they, they do that is um she said they say like you know we give up we lost we lost the respect of the people if we don't have the respect of the people what do we have um and then she says well you know what what you do with the respect of the people you get it back and then cut to credits and it's a really awkward cut to credits it's like the second her line ends you're just fade to black it like felt like they missed a couple shots like they literally could have fit a whole other shot because you think the scene's going to keep going Right, it it feels like you're gonna get one more, or at least like just give me a. I, I could literally direct this. Give me like a reaction shot from everyone, and then that's it. That's what you needed. <laughs> you don't even get a reaction. Yeah. It's just like get it back, done. But I think that's a little intentional. Um, I think it's supposed to be like a hard dramatic cut, but it just it feels very awkward. Yeah, it didn't work. And it's also um, I just it's hard then, for me to buy this coming from Leona. I don't know. I, I'm. It totally is recasting her character and making everything I know about her seem irrelevant. Right. How can she like, be a cool villain if she's the one who's going to bring the heroes back into the fray? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. 
other so my I, I just want to do if you have any stray notes we can do them now my only big one is um Halliday is also there in that final scene and we just get this nice like actually nice bit of character development where we learn that Halliday and Leona have like pat, uh, history with each other mm-hmm. but the way it's handled is very Sorkin-esque where it's the way we know they know each other is that they call each other Becca and Lee and it's mm-hmm. like yeah all right that's <laughs> that written on a screenplay says these characters have a past <laughs> good job they have nicknames um, do you have any uh, any final spicy notes? Um, no, not really. I think it's just uh, that ending just made me realize that Sorkin is is really bad at taking the writing advice of kill your darlings. Like he wants to just keep resuscitating his darlings and keep them on life support <laughs> as long as possible. Um. So that is part of what I don't love about this show. Right. We we really we could have benefited from like actually losing a major character in this whole kerfuffle instead of just losing Jerry who already who only existed who for was this like conflict built, and then, yeah, built to be destroyed or whatever. Precisely. So I think that's true. But we're not done with the season yet, so we there might be more uh true uh results, you know, at the end of this. Yeah. Um the only so other note, stray note I wrote oh, down sure, that we ahead. didn't get to. Um, mm-hmm. But first of all, uh, <laughs> it's a part where Jim says something about like, uh, instead of saying take what a person said with a grain of salt, he said, take what he said with a salt lick. Yuck. And I've never, like, I've never heard someone use that that uh, idiom that way. And it was really gross. And then the other one was like, when Don was being interviewed by the lawyers, he makes some Shakespeare reference, and all of them start like laughing and <laughs> all have like a crush on him for some reason. It was it was really weird. All of the lawyers are you, Magellan. Uh yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> um, oh, I like your note here. I love Jerry Dantana. Everything he represents as a character, <laughs> rip immediately, rip. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that is the thing. We're not going to do, we haven't done a new segment in a while. I want to get back to it next season, hopefully. Um, but for now, uh, give the people what they want. Let's take this one home. Tell them what we are watching next week. Next week, we are watching the final two episodes of season two, season two, episodes eight and nine. Episode eight is entitled election night part one. Newsnight goes forward with its election night coverage in what might be its last broadcast with Will and Mac. Jim considers retracting a story. The team deliberates whether to hold off on a story that might impact a tight Senate race. And then, Season 2, Episode 9, Election Night Part 2, Season 2 Finale. As Election Night 2012 winds down, Will and Charlie await a decision from Reese that may impact their future at ACN, and that of the entire senior staff. Sloane learns the identity of the anonymous winning bidder for her book. What? There's still, like, new side plots in the finale? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Come on. Come on, Israel. So we're getting there. We're going to do it. Um, that's exciting. And, uh, hey, folks, we're actually almost done with the chat room. So um, this is a good time for me to say, um, now that we're at the end of the episode, thank you for being a good listener and for, for, for tuning in every week. We love that. Uh, and um, if you have like feedback or comments or I don't know, you want to be on a show at some point, yeah. let us know. Chats room 
chatspod at gmail.com chatspod at gmail.com and if you have a good Um, idea for what we should watch next let us know because we're trying to figure it out yes please send us those we have ideas but we haven't nailed anything yet um and at chatspot on twitter if you don't want to make an email even though it's like 2018 dog what are you doing (laughs) come on now and uh again yeah if you like us you know shoot us a review on itunes on stitcher whatever you listen to podcasts on subscribe tell your friends let them know we do we do we put a decent amount of work into this show and we care about it a lot um and it's a lot of fun for us to do but at the end of the day like we would like people to hear it so we don't just feel like we're yelling into the void so that in mind Magellan. Yes. Where can people find you on the internet? <laughs> Sorry, the delay is a nightmare. I love it. Uh, <laughs> they can find me on Twitter at Justafluke. That's J-U-S-T-A-P-F-L-U-K-E. You can also listen to the backlog of my other podcast, Adulthood. And that's that. Alan, where can people find you? At Alan Ibrahim on Twitter. That's spelled A-L-L-E-N-I-B-R-A-H-I-M. I'm also on two other podcasts. One is Fireside Friends. It's a monthly pop culture discussion podcast where me and my other friends, Ryan and Katie, talk about the media that affects our lives. And uh, we also just kind of have a roundtable thing where we talk about general stuff. It's a good time. It's found at firesidefriends.net. My other podcast is The Garnet Wager. I co-host it with my buddy Six. And we talk every week about the brilliant Korean game show, The Genius. In addition, we play fun games and uh, grow closer as friends as we compete for fake prizes nice yeah i'm getting good at this plug segment finally it took me three years but (laughs) here we are uh thank you thank you so much for listening to this episode of the chats room good night